Welcome to Club Sandwich, where the music is great and the stories are real. Each week, we talk about life in the middle, the middle of raising kids, nurturing careers, and navigating the ever-changing needs of our aging parents. I'm Jennifer Owens. I serve as Editorial Director at Firstly, the first financial wellness platform designed specifically for the sandwich generation. I'm also the mother of two, wife of one, and the daughter and stepdaughter of my children's grandparents. I know firsthand how complex family life can be and how it can change in an instant. I also know how hard it can be to prepare for the future, especially one that impacts our kids and our parents, let alone ourselves. Our guest today knows that too. Anadia De Silva Kilgore, thank you so much for sharing your sandwich expertise with us today. Thank you for having me, Jen. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so I suspect that you and I should have spoken about a year ago when we were starting our daughter's college search, because you founded Personal College Counseling, which is an independent educational consulting and college advising firm. And so having seriously just gone through all the steps of this, how do you fit into the searching and finding process? Well, I'd like to buck conventional wisdom and start with the kids as early in the high school process as possible. Yeah. Because what I'm finding, and I haven't seen an exception to it yet, is that these kids at the high school level aren't getting any kind of college advice, college counseling until maybe second semester, junior year. Yes, yes. You know, and then they kind of start talking about it a little bit more as seniors. It's all about the SAT, you know, like, right? It's about the test. That's just one small element. And what I really want to do with the kids as much as possible, and I apologize in advance for calling them kids, young people, teenager. To me, they're all kids. So they're not listening. We're talking to the parents. So (laughs) we'll just let them know that we're calling them young adults. Yes, we are. Okay. Tell us about the kids. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So for me, it's about three major elements to really creating kids that are going to be successful in college and beyond. And the three elements for me are one, it's first and foremost about the academics. Secondly, you got to involve them in a social environment, in a social life that they're going to want to be part of, that they'll flourish in and help them grow to be the people they're supposed to be. Yeah. And thirdly, and just as importantly, for parents all across the economic spectrum is the finances. And that is a a movable piece for everyone. Not everyone's budget is the same. You know, if you're a higher earning family, you're not getting financial aid. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be getting merit aid if you can. Who wants to pay more for the same thing if you don't have to? Right. That's just silly. But also for the families that really need to know how to take advantage of the financial aid, in addition to the merit aid, this kind of service can be life-changing all around. But the important part to start with is setting that foundation to be as good as possible, as early as possible. And what I find is that these kids all across the spectrum are just being underserved because if you're not a troublemaker and you're doing well, you maybe see your counselor for five minutes a semester, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe twice a year. You get a pat on the back. Good job. Here's your pre-printed schedule for next semester. See ya next. I don't know how other schools were, but my high school, that was what we had. 20% of my high school class went to college in the first place. So it may just have also been, we just hadn't have the mindset for it. But my point being, we kind of like, this has kind of been the thing forever. It hasn't changed. And 
While I get it, high school counselors have so much on their plate, so much to do. Yeah. There are really kids and families that have much more pressing concerns. I get that. But that doesn't mean that the college-bound kids don't deserve as much attention to maximize their potential as well. Right. And what I mean by that is when I can start with a student early, and this happens all the time, like if I get a freshman and I have a freshman that's getting straight A's and they're not in anything higher than college prep classes, I'll ask them, how come you're not in an honors class on this particular topic or an AP? And the answer I get is, oh, no one told me to. That's not acceptable. That's them not giving you credit enough for being as smart as you are. But further on down the road, those credits, your strength of schedule, in addition to your GPA, translates to money, to college Mm -hmm. dollars, and not giving these kids the opportunity to shine in the highest level they can be in is really a disadvantage and not something I can fix as a junior. It's too late. Right. So that's important. And then, of course, keeping them on track, giving them advice as they go through everything, and then using those SAT scores as as a tool to our advantage, rather than what I see is there's way too much pressure on these kids involving the SATs. Right. Somehow the test score is your pass key to everything, that it unlocks everything. And I don't, you know, no. Don't get me wrong. It's it's still important. (laughs) Right. But the trend here is changing dramatically. But what I don't like about what the schools seem to do is they give them the PSATs early without any prep. And then they don't really encourage them to take the SAT till again, late junior year. Well, okay. That's just putting all your eggs in one basket. Why are you doing that and stressing this, these kids out when it's proven that every time you take the SAT, you do better? So <laughs> yeah. it's prep, it's practice, it's not just knowledge-based, it's a test-taking skill, and you can improve it. And again, I have my kids, if I had my way consistently, I want them to take it early. I want, right. I want to have three opportunities to really get them the best score they can and then use it appropriately, you know, and then they get all freaked out. Well, I'm not a good test taker. I don't want to take this. All these schools are test optional. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, but having that knowledge helps you. And it's like, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to hang a nail on the wall, do you want to hand me a shoe or a hammer? I want a hammer. <laughs> right. <laughs> What are some of the things for the, those of that are following me into this path that, that they need to know about what college applications look like now, what the process looks like now? Um, that's kind of two different things. One, ah. <laughs> <laughs> the college application itself almost always is going to be the common app. Everybody's kind of linked into that. You do one application, yep. one essay, and almost everybody accepts that now. What you also need to be aware of is, one, if the school you're targeting doesn't accept the Common App, or more likely, they accept it, but they also want additional essays. That was the surprise. That tracking all those little, like, please explain, you know, 300 words on how you see yourself being part of our community. And they all are, oh, they're so savvy. They're all sort of different. I found that the ones that my daughter hit, that they were individual enough that she kind of had to start from scratch each time. Maybe pick up a line here or there, but they all wanted their own thing. Yeah, for sure. So what I like to do is have 
all of our research, all of our prep, all of our looking done by the summer prior to senior year, because that summer I want to use all that time to help the kids with the essays, get them ideas, play around with stuff, draft, first draft, second draft, uh, chuck, chuck it if it's just not going well, start over figure out which schools you are applying to so you know how many of these essays you're doing and you're not doing it in a rush and you're not doing it with other school constraints in mind. Senior year gets so crazy busy. So crazy. Yeah. Right? So that's important. But the other thing, I want parents and students to really (laughs) be realistic on so many levels. But when it comes to the essays, I'll tell you right now, if you're applying to a really large school like Syracuse, like UMass Amherst, these major institutions, no one's going to read your essay. It does, <gasps> it does not matter. <laughs> what? Yeah. Gasp. What? <laughs> it's, it's just reality. They don't have time. UMass Amherst actually came right out and said that at one of the information sessions. It's like, thank you very much. Do your best job. But honestly, we're not going to get to it. We're going to look at your GPA, your SAT. <gasps> And your academic. This is some hashtag truth being said here. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but but if you're applying to anything other than the big monster schools, then yes, of course you want a kick-ass essay. Oops, can I say that on the air? <laughs> I think you can. We're we're talking about money and college financial aid and applications. Yeah, I think it's time to start swearing. <laughs> yes. Well, it's so important, and it's important that that essay and and those situations be meaningful that it stand out. I remember one of my seniors from this last year, we'd really worked together on something. The first few things he submitted, yeah, they were all okay. And they're going to be using some of the stuff at school. You know, the professors will review it with the whole class, all that stuff. And I said, this is fine, but this doesn't stand out. And it doesn't tell Mm -hmm. me anything personal or particular to you. It's a good academic essay, but it's Mm -hmm. not personal. So we went back to the well. We really played around with some stuff. And he ended up crafting something that was very meaningful and personal to him about his upbringing. And when we finished, I said, that's a good essay. That's the one you're going to use. That's lovely. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And then the first school he got his acceptance letter from with the whole financial aid package, he got $125,000 for four years. And he's like, how does that happen? I'm like, that's exactly what we want to happen. And don't forget, you had a kick-ass essay on top of all your academics. Right. They got to know you. They got they they wanted to take a bet on you by accepting you and saying, this is the kid we want. Yeah, it's important. But be real. Again, <laughs> some people are going to read that and others are not. <laughs> right, right. Well, so it may seem a little silly to ask this because, you know, we talk about the kids, the young adults, like, yes, they should do it all. <laughs> like, let's expect, <laughs> let's say that. But in reality, what role should they play or should we expect them to play in all of this? Well, first off, you should have a teenager that is motivated and wants to go to college. Yeah. You know, if if they don't have any kind of self-motivation, no matter how much I drum that beat and you ask, stuff isn't going to happen. So that's the first thing. Maybe we can talk about gap years or not. It's later or something. But first, let's have a kid that wants to go. So assuming that, Going forward, my approach is very team-focused and, and collaborative. I keep the parents on track as well as the students. 
so that they're doing things at appropriate times. And that said, the student still is going to need to follow through with the tasks. Yes. Yep. But what I find, if, if you leave it all on the student, they get too focused on all these different deadlines. Next thing you know, they're completely overwhelmed and nothing's getting done. So you just want to keep things in proportion. And what I do is I give them tasks from the first day till the last day in morsels that can be digested and analyzed oh, and used. Yeah. Right. Because you can't just spit this all out and go, okay. Now look at these 30 schools. Tell me which ones you want to go to and what essays you're going to do. And oh, by the way, this one's January 1st. That one's November 15th. Blah, 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 blah. No, that's too much. That's not going to be helpful. There's even no need to even think about deadlines till we start getting into senior year. Uh, Especially if you do the early action stuff. This is we're getting into insight. Those of us who are applying right now, (laughs) this is insider baseball. But you're, you then, you have all these deadlines start to fade because they all have those early action, early decision. Some have a rolling deadline. Yep. The, the deadlines are, I, I found all the tracking of deadlines very stressful. That's, yes. That's just what I'm saying. <laughs> what I do is when we get to that point, I create a chart or a, a schedule of who's on what, one of their deadlines, and when we're going to apply to them by when so that you don't necessarily have to apply to all 10 schools on the same day. Right, right. Right? We don't need to do that. Yep. And you also can ladder them according to different approaches. And then when it comes to early action versus early decision versus regular decision or rolling admissions, yeah, it's a whole thing. And you can use that to your advantage, but also be aware financially of what that means for you. Honestly, unless you can pay full sticker price at wherever you're applying. There is no reason to do early decision. Wow. Yeah. Tell me more. Well, because early decision, unlike early action, and this is always something as a parent, we kept coming back to back and forth, back and forth. But the key distinction is early action is not binding on the student. Early decision is. That is a contract. If you get in on early decision, you immediately have to withdraw your application from the other schools. You are saying, yes, I want to go there for sure. And this is before you know what the financial package is. Yes. You're just getting a yes from them and you're saying, yes, I do. And then crossing your fingers that everything else worked out great. Sometimes, like when my son was applying and he was being recruited by the coach at his school, we had a little bit of insider information because that coach actually took the initiative, walked his stuff into admissions for a pre-screen, comes back and says, yes, not only will you get in if you apply early decision, you will qualify for this pool of money that's there. Available, yeah. Yeah, but if it's later, it might not be there. But that was a very specific situation. If you don't know that and you, yeah. and you need a certain amount of aid for those numbers to work for you, don't do early decision. Right. Because early action, if the financial aid package, you just can't swing it. You have a little bit more leverage to say this just I can't. Yeah, you still, right? you still can wait for your other things to come back. And you have until National Acceptance Day, May 1st. It's like a holiday around here. <laughs> but that's as far out as you can go before committing, right? Yep. Yep. There's no reason to 
I, I think sometimes parents, even more so than the kids, they get starry eyed with, oh, I know this school versus that one. And, and then they get silly about the numbers. And I'm like, if you don't have it, I don't think you should be borrowing more than you should be to get through school. And that said, yeah. I think it's totally fine for the kids to every year take the guaranteed student loan amount, which starts at 5500 a year and goes up a little bit every year. Mm-hmm. I think that's a yep. reasonable amount of money to put into your own education as to a student. To invest in yourself. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. I think the kids should have some skin in the game, even if the parents could afford to do the whole thing. I think it's important. That's just me. But yeah. beyond that, okay, then you have the difference between that and the total cost, less what you got for financial aid and or merit aid. And if the difference after all that math is not something that the parents have in the bank or have saved up or maybe want to use an equity line for, that's a whole other concept. Yeah. But if they have to now go into parent plus borrowing loans, this school is too expensive for you. Mm, Yep. And can we talk about talking to your children about the cost of college? I found found the whole like what a limit to what we could afford conversation was hard to have in my own head. And with my <laughs> my husband, her acceptance thankfully came with merit aid and then a little bit more merit aid came that literally the next day. And so we kind of went in a bit fingers crossed on early action of like, well, hopefully they'll be because the yeah. work study and all this sort of jazz. I guess we would have topped out at a limit and said, this is how much we can afford. Correct. But knowing which colleges to apply for based on that limit, it seems very unknowable. Well, that's, yes, that's where someone like me comes in because that's the the fun part. That's. (laughs) (laughs) Is it though? (laughs) (laughs) That's my zone, right? Yes. Okay. But starting off, there's a couple of things I think economically you should do. One, be aware of, of what your finances are. How much have you put aside, saved, or not? Some people, honestly, yeah. they're just- You're barely surviving. Yes, yes exactly. So I get yes. it. I get that. That does not mean college is out of reach by any means, but it means the financial component is even more important. So know what you have put aside, whether it's cash, 529s, or whatever source you're going to use. And then secondly, to get a real reality check, I strongly recommend to go do a practice FAFSA as soon as possible, because that's going to tell you, and that's the same form every single school is going to use to set your financial need. Yeah. That's going to tell you whether it's realistic or not, what they expect you to contribute as your expected family contribution. That is a final number that's going to be generated. And it's shocking for most people to think that, what? They think I'm going to come up with this every year? Yes. Yes, dear listener. Yes. It's a (laughs) shock as to what they think you can afford. And yet you're going to try to figure it out. Yes. (laughs) But that is a useful. How do they know? (laughs) That is a a super useful number to have because it'll tell you, hey, if the school costs less than that number, I'm going to get zero in financial aid. Financial aid. Oh, yeah. Right? Huge difference between financial aid and merit aid. And what we do is we hunt for merit aid because I can't affect your expected family contribution number. I have no 
input onto that. That is what it is. And we work around it and use it to wherever. So it's just a real reality check for most families. My opinion is the student should be only concerned at this point in time in high school with being the best student they can be, whatever that means to them, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody's going to be having different numbers and being in different things, whatever it is, pursue whatever it is you're passionate about and enjoy. Don't get into five activities just because you think it's going to go- <laughs> look good on a college tramp street. Right. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to look better is that you did something that was meaningful to you. You did it well. You stood out somewhere for something. That's more important. The kids should focus on that. But that said, yeah. be honest with them. Have open conversations and saying, This is how much we've put aside. This is how much we think we can afford. And then, you know, we'll see what the schools settle in. Yeah. Yeah. And and we'll do our best. But that said, when in the looking process, it's important to understand so many things about why kids get money. One, academics, of course. Two, the school has to have money to give them, set aside for merit aid. And that is going to vary tremendously by some schools. Some schools don't give any merit aid. They only give financial aid, which Mm -hmm. those schools are a great opportunity for people that make less money that are academically talented. And we need to take advantage of that. But you need to know where those pockets of funds are and how much you might be available for at any particular institution. And you need to understand where you fall in that scheme Because schools are not all need blind in their admissions decisions. And that could be shocking for Mm -hmm. people. They factor in, if I accept this particular student, how much can they afford to pay us or how much can we afford to give them to have them come here? And if that formula doesn't work for them, you could be very academically talented, but you might not fit their formula. Yeah. Right? That's why when we get to the schools we're going to apply to, I do what's called, what I call a portfolio approach. Just because you're solidly in the zone, and that's another one of my pet peeves. I do not do safety schools. I hate the idea. But you have to be solidly in the zone of the schools you're targeting. But that said, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get in, you know, because everybody else applying should also be solidly in the zone. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. Yes. I And so I would say though, it can be done. You will survive this process. Of we, course. We all, we all do, right? I mean. Yeah. Some do better than others at the, yeah. the, with the final outcomes. That's the whole thing. It's how much time do you have to dedicate to really doing all this research? For me, that's what I'm doing and I love it. But yeah. to really get into the weeds, it's a lot of time and prep that most people just don't have. And honestly, one of your things we had talked about a little bit before, get out of your bubble, get out of your comfort zone, because there's so many more opportunities if you can, at the very least, geographically diversify your portfolio. Oh, I think we need to have you back on to talk about how to diversify your portfolio. (laughs) I I do. I'm surprised at how regional our search was, how regional it was when I was a kid. So yeah, so we're going to make a date. (laughs) (laughs) And and you know what? You're not unusual in that respect. Most people are only familiar with the stuff that's immediately around them, whether they've heard of it, a friend went there or something like that, or, you know, they just haven't 
really traveled much. And it's like, right. oh my God, we have, we have like, there's so much more out there. There's, there's a whole world. There <laughs> is. A, I'm all about expanding their opportunities, not restricting it. If you won't travel a little bit further out of where you are, you're missing the boat on so many things. Oh, well, I want to thank you for letting us jump on your boat today. How about that? Oh, that <laughs> anytime, anytime. Thank you for joining us on Club Sandwich. Our guest today was Anadia De Silva Kilgore. You are going to be back. We're going to get more into the weeds because these are the weeds I'm living in right now. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 busy. Yeah, so busy in the weeds. <laughs> and and it only gets busier for the kids. They they always think, oh, I'll I'll get to that eventually and i'm like uh no you won't yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) well are you living life in the middle share your story at firstly.com please take a moment to rate and review our podcast it really helps us grow and of course if you could use a little extra financial wellness help visit firstly.com created specifically for the sandwich generation in mind and let me know what you think and until then we'll see you each week in the club club sandwich (laughs) 